Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin today by turning to the 84th Psalm and reading verses 9 and 10. There the psalmist wrote, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now you may be using a translation that says, I would choose rather to sit at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The point of this statement is that the very lowest station in the house of the Lord, the station of a doorkeeper, a lowly servant, is better than the highest position among the worldly. Surely all who read and study God's word know this to be true. But I want to spend some time examining that statement by the psalmist a little more closely so that we might be able to make that statement as well and mean it. To be able to make that statement demands that the speaker have at least four characteristics. To say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God demands knowledge. To be a doorkeeper in the house of God demands that we know what the house of God is. How in the world could a person know that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God if he or she did not know what the house of God is? The only way to find the answer is by reading what the Holy Spirit has revealed about it. In Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 we read, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In this prophecy of Isaiah, we read about the house of God, and we learn that it would be established in the last days. But it does not tell us what that house is. For that we go to another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The passage says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now we know what the house of God is. It is the church. It is the body of people who have been called out of the world by the gospel into the service of God. All of those who have confessed their faith in Jesus as the Son of God have repented of their sins and have been buried with Christ in baptism for the remission of their sins all of them are members of the house of God, the Church of Christ. Now being in this house, 
carries with it certain responsibilities. To live in the house of God is to live a life of humble service to the Lord. It is to live godly in Christ Jesus. It is to deny oneself and to take up the cross of Christ daily to follow him. But we also need to consider the tense of wickedness. There are tents of wickedness today, all different kinds. Specifically, the tents of wickedness of those days would have been houses of ill repute, places where every fleshly desire could be satisfied. Think of any desire that is purely carnal, and it could be satisfied in an unrighteous and unholy way in the tents of wickedness. Doesn't it seem like man, in general, is of the opinion that the answer to life's problems lies in satisfying the fleshly desires. Think of how folks work all week long, looking forward to the weekend when they can go out and forget about the problems that they face during the week. Think of the millions and millions of dollars spent every weekend on sports and entertainment that are meant to take people's minds off of their problems. People want to be entertained. They want to forget about their problems. Now, I'm certainly not saying that all entertainment is evil, nor am I saying that being a spectator at a sporting event is evil. But I am saying that man is preeminently interested in satisfying the lust of the flesh, that given the choice he would rather dwell in the tents of wickedness. But I want you to look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 3. Where Solomon wrote, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, that they should do under the heaven all the days of their lives. You see, Solomon gave himself over to wine, women, pleasure, wealth, and every kind of folly he could think of in order to see what was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. After having done all of that, do you know what his conclusion was? It is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. He wrote, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Although the tents of wickedness offer all that the flesh can desire, they will leave the spirit desolate and hurting. The wise man Solomon said that that was not the answer. To be able to make the statement, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, requires discernment, good judgment. When we get right down to it, most people are pretty foolish, especially when it comes to the salvation of their souls. They may exercise good judgment in business matters and yet act very foolishly when it comes to spiritual things. How many times have you heard people say, I don't see anything wrong with that? The truth of the matter is lots of people today have a real problem between seeing the difference of good and evil. They lack discernment. Perhaps the reason for that lack of discernment is that they don't want to see. They don't want to recognize that they are engaged in anything that is evil in God's sight. So if they just don't think about it, they won't worry about it. But regardless of the reason, it is so foolish to ignore the presence of evil. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, we find the following. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses made a wise choice. Why did he make the choice he made? Because he had the ability to discern right from wrong. He could see that the pleasures of sin, and sin is pleasurable, were just for a short time. Moses weighed the reward of each, pleasures of sin or righteousness. He didn't just live for the moment, he lived for the future as well. We live in a society based upon instant gratification, what you want when you want it. Live for the present. That is a lack of discernment. Moses could have had anything his heart desired. He was living as Pharaoh's grandson, but he refused, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God. Another statement in Hebrews that points out the need for discernment is found in Hebrews chapter 5 looking at verses 12 through 14. There the Bible tells us, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This passage was written to Christians, and in it the Hebrew writer said the point that some of them did not have their senses exercised to discern good from evil. A person of this type is called a babe, and it is all right to be a babe in Christ when you first become a Christian. It is something else altogether to still be a babe in Christ when you have been in the family of God for a number of years. A person of this type could not really say, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God because they are almost certain to choose the tents of wickedness in certain areas. There are just certain things that you know before you act on them that they are wrong. The point is, we all must come to the point where we make only a wise choice and engage only in that which is right and refuse to participate in that which is evil. We must come to the point where we can all truly say that I would rather be the lowliest servant in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Again, to be able to say I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness requires that we make a definitive choice. It is important that we remember that Moses not only refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. It is not enough just to avoid that which is evil, but we must cleave to that which is good. In other words, we must be actively engaged in that which is right. A lot of times folks will say, I would never do this or that wicked thing, and it is wonderful that they are determined not to do that which is evil. But what about doing that which is right? Let me show you what I mean. 
Turning to Matthew chapter 25, we find the parable of the talents. We'll look first at verses 14 through 18. The Bible tells us, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained two others. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long while the Lord returned, and it was time for a reckoning. The five and two talent individuals had doubled their talents. But what about the one-talent man? Verses 24 through 30 gives us the answer. The passage says, Then he which had received the one-talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance." But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let's think about this one fellow talent. He did not engage in wickedness. He did not steal, lie, or commit murder. What he did was nothing. And doing nothing resulted in him being cast out as a wicked servant. When folks obey the gospel, they make up their minds to refrain from evil. But they do not go far enough if they do not make up their minds to become actively engaged in the work of the Lord. When they do that, there is an empty void in their lives. Unless a Christian replaces the wickedness, and fills that empty space with service to God, they will most assuredly go back into the world. Christianity is not just a series of thou shalt nots. No, it is a great deal more than that. Christianity is about what we can and should do. It is actively participating in that which is right. If all of us will make a definitive positive choice to really serve the Lord, then very few would fall. Finally, the statement, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, demands that the person making it be humble. Those who have a high estimation of themselves don't give a whole lot of thought to the lowly doorkeeper. That is a position of low esteem. Most people want to do something big. This is illustrated in the story of Nam and the leper. He was sent to Samaria to be healed. He was told to go and wash in Jordan seven times, but he was angry at that and went away. 
But one of his servants asked him, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Naaman had to humble himself and do what the prophet of God had commanded. Lots of times people were saying, If I were a preacher or an elder, I would do this and that for the Lord, or if I had a million dollars, I would do great things for Jesus. But you know something? The truth is we would do with much just as we do with the little that we do possess. The man with one talent is just as important as the man with five talents, provided that he works with what he has. If I do the best I can, I will be blessed of God as surely as the man with the great talent. The soul of the person who sweeps the building is just as precious to the Lord as the soul of the mightiest preacher in the land. It is just a matter of being willing to use what we have in service to him who died for us. Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Again, he said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 14, For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Look at how Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. He wrote, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I'm reminded of a passage from the Old Testament that fits right in here. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 tells us, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It is impossible to walk with God without being humble, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, a congregation filled with truly humble people is a little bit of heaven on earth. None would be seeking his own good at the expense of others, but would rather be seeking the good of his brethren. All would depend upon God for direction and guidance in everything that they practiced. They would be a happy people because of their trust in the Lord. That is the ideal to shoot for. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Words to think about. Thank you for listening.